This commentary covers the second portion of Section 3.3, which is all about Fourier analysis. As we said in the text, the goal of Fourier analysis is to determine which frequency components are present in a given waveform and to find the relative proportions of those components. The key to understanding Fourier analysis is the concept of orthogonality. You may have encountered the word orthogonal in your studies as a generalization of the concept of perpendicularity. In this context, two functions are considered to be orthogonal if over some interval a point-by-point -point multiplication of those two functions integrates to zero over that interval. We'll explain exactly how that works in a minute, but first you can see some examples of orthogonal functions in equations 327, 328, and 329. In each of these three equations, two harmonic functions with period 2L are multiplied together and integrated over one complete period. The first two of these equations show that harmonic functions of different frequencies, that is, when n and m are different, multiply and integrate to give zero. So harmonic sine functions of different frequencies are orthogonal, and harmonic cosine functions of different frequencies are also orthogonal. But two sine functions of the same frequency are not orthogonal, and two cosine functions of the same frequency are not orthogonal. That means that you can use this multiply and integrate process to find out which frequencies are present in a given waveform. To understand how that works, take a look at figure 317. In that figure, the top sine wave represents a waveform for which you're trying to determine if a certain frequency component is present. To do that, you can multiply the waveform you want to analyze by a sine wave of the frequency you want to test for. That testing sine wave is shown as the second sine wave underneath the function being tested in figure 317. Now consider what happens when you multiply the waveform you're analyzing, that is the top sine wave, by the testing function at a certain frequency, that is the bottom sine wave. Since the frequencies are the same in this case, the peaks and valleys of the two functions are all lined up, and every multiplication gives a positive result. That's what all those plus signs mean at the bottom of figure 317. That's because plus times plus gives plus, but minus times minus also gives plus. So when you integrate the products of these multiplications, you get a big positive number. Now consider what happens if you multiply the waveform you're analyzing by a testing sine function that has half the frequency of that waveform. That case is shown in figure 318. As you can see, since in this case the testing function has half the frequency, it changes more slowly than the waveform under analysis, and some of the multiplications give a negative result. So in some locations you get positive times positive, which gives positive, but in other locations you get positive times negative, which gives negative. And when you integrate or add up these products over an entire cycle, you get zero. That's because these different frequency sine waves are orthogonal to one another. The same thing happens if the testing frequency is higher than the frequency of the waveform under test. You can see that case in figure 319. Once again, some of the multiplications give positive results, but others give negative results. And when you add up the products, you get zero. The same process works on cosine waves, as long as you use cosine waves as your testing functions. So this is why we say that orthogonality relations are the perfect tool for finding out which frequency components are present in a given waveform. Just multiply that waveform by sine waves and cosine waves of various frequencies, and if those frequencies are not present in the waveform, the multiply and integrate process will give zero result. But if you multiply the waveform under analysis by a frequency that is present in the waveform, the result of the integration process will be non-zero. 
even better, the result of that process will be proportional to the amount of that frequency component that's present in the waveform. So the primary goal of Fourier analysis, which is to find the frequency components present in a waveform, can be accomplished by multiplying the waveform by sine and cosine waves of varying frequencies and integrating the result. The mathematical statement of that process is shown in equations 330. In those three equations, x of x is the waveform under analysis, and you can see that the cosine coefficients a sub n are found by multiplying by cosine functions, and the sine coefficients b sub n are found by multiplying by sine functions. By the way, the first equation shows that the non-oscillating, or DC term, A0, is found just by integrating the function x of x, which essentially finds the average value of that function. The remainder of this section contains several examples that show you exactly how to use this process to analyze a waveform and how to interpret the results. The first example shows the details of the Fourier analysis of the triangle wave from figure 316. If you have the equation x of x of a function, you can dive right into the analysis by plugging x of x into equations 330. But in this case, you're given a graph of the function rather than its equation, so the first part of this example shows you how to use that graph to find the equation x of x. As you can see, once you have x of x, it takes just a little bit of work to find the DC term A0, which turns out to be 1 half in this case, and a little more work to find the cosine coefficients A sub n, which turn out to be equal to minus 4 over n squared pi squared for odd n. Now you could use the last of the equations, 330, to find the b sub n coefficients, that is the sine coefficients for this waveform, but as it says in the text, you can save yourself some work by realizing that this waveform is even, which means that it has the same values at minus x as it does at plus x. And the b sub n sine coefficients are always zero for an even function. So in this case, since the function we're analyzing is even, all of the b sub n coefficients are zero. After that example, we introduce a different form of the Fourier series for x of x, and that's shown in equation 331. Notice that this form uses a single complex exponential rather than the separate equations for cosine and sine that you saw previously. And it has a single set of coefficients which we call c sub n rather than the separate sets a sub n and b sub n. If you read the discussion back in chapter 1 about Euler relations, you should understand why equation 331 accomplishes the same function as equations 330. After all, Euler tells you that e to the i theta equals cosine theta plus i sine theta. So with a little mathematical manipulation, which you can see in the solutions to the problems at the end of the chapter if you want, you can go back and forth between equations 330 and 331. The reason we introduce the complex exponential form of the Fourier series at this point is to make the transition between the discrete form of Fourier analysis and the continuous Fourier transform a little more straightforward. As we explained in the text, whenever you have a periodic waveform, you only need certain frequency components to make up that waveform. Why is that? To find the answer to that question, look at figure 320. In that figure, we show a periodic square wave with spatial period 2L exactly as you saw in the previous section. In the A portion of figure 320, we make the point that for this periodic waveform, the fundamental sine component must have the same period as the square wave. If it didn't, it wouldn't repeat itself after one period of the square wave, and you know that the square wave does repeat itself after one period. After all, that's the very definition of a period. But the interesting idea comes about in the B portion of figure 320. As it shows in that part of the figure, all of the frequency components that make up this periodic square wave must also repeat themselves after one period of the square wave. 
And that's for the same reason that the fundamental has to repeat itself. If these additional frequency components didn't repeat themselves after one period of the square wave, then the wave that results from combining those components wouldn't repeat itself after one period. Of course, those additional components can repeat themselves more often than the fundamental, but only if they also repeat themselves after one period of the square wave. That means that the frequency components that make up a periodic waveform can only have periods that equal the period of the waveform under analysis, or that have exactly two cycles in that period, or exactly three cycles, or four, or five, and so on. So the frequency spectrum of a periodic waveform has non-zero frequency components only at certain discrete values of frequency. You can see that by comparing the spatial frequency spectrum K of K of a periodic train of pulses, shown in figure 321, to the spectrum of a single pulse, shown in figure 322. Notice that for the non-periodic single pulse, a continuous frequency spectrum is needed, not just the discrete spectral components shown in the spectrum of the periodic pulse train in figure 321. To calculate that continuous spectrum, you need the Fourier transform shown in equation 333. That's for spatial waveforms x of x, and the Fourier transform is shown in equation 335 for temporal waveforms, which we call t of t. These equations allow you to calculate the frequency spectrum of a waveform x of x or t of t. And if you're given the wave number spectrum k of k and you want to recover the waveform x of x, you can use the inverse Fourier transform shown in equation 334. The last example in this section shows how to use the Fourier transform to find the frequency spectrum of a single pulse. We show you the math of that process in the text and you can see the result in figure 323. The spectrum in this case takes the shape of a function sine x over x, also called the sinc function. Note that a narrow pulse has a wide frequency spectrum, as shown in figure 322, and a wide pulse has a narrow spectrum, as shown in figure 323. This is an example of the uncertainty principle, which says that you cannot know both the time and the frequency of a waveform with high precision, just as you cannot know both the position and the wave number with high precision. You can read more about the uncertainty principle in chapter 6, and the final section of this chapter uses Fourier theory to discuss wave packets and dispersion.